I love the line in that piece of scripture. It says that Christ's love compels us. That there's just something about this man named Jesus that just drives us to want to love people. There's just something about Jesus that drives us to want to help other people. That wants us to be the best person that we can possibly be because of Christ. There was a woman who runs one of the largest speakers bureaus. And she was asked this question, what is the number one quality that makes someone an effective speaker? We might think that it would be a person's intelligence or their eloquence with their words or maybe the charisma that they have. But she didn't say that. She didn't say any of those things. She said the primary quality that makes someone an effective speaker is one thing. Passion. Their passion. She says, if someone is passionate about a subject, if they believe it matters deeply, if they are genuinely captivated by it, their passion leaks out. You can't help but feel the passion that they have. You can't help but be stirred by something inside yourself that wants to do the same thing. You want to be passionate. Every speaker wants to feel the passion from the people that they're speaking to. You see, really inside of each one of us, there's a part of ourselves that's crying out, inspire me. Show me how I can be the best person possible. Draw out of me all of the gifts and talents that I have so that I can help other people. Inspire me to be something greater than I think I am. John Ortberg says, on the other hand, to lead an uninspired life, to go through the motions to forget that your children are worth all the effort needed to be an effective parent. To fail to do good work because it's too hard. To live a day as if it doesn't matter is one of the greatest tragedies of the world. To not seek to do something with your life is one of the greatest tragedies in the world. You see, Jesus inspired people. There was just something about Jesus that just drew out the best qualities of the people that he was around. But if you remember, and if you read the Gospels, you'll see that it wasn't the best people that he was around. He didn't have the best speakers around him. He didn't have the most faithful people around him. He didn't have the wisest people around him. But he somehow drew the best out of them. He inspired Zacchaeus, who was a wealthy cheat, to give away most of his fortune. He inspired a Samaritan woman to be an evangelist, 
and to lead people to Christ and to teach people about who this Messiah was. And she influenced and inspired so many people in her own town that they invited Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, to come into a Samaritan village and spend two solid days teaching them. It was unheard of. He inspired Peter to get out of the boat. He inspired a woman named Joanna, whose husband, Cusa, worked for a man named Herod, who, worked, who, who killed John the Baptist and who was trying to kill Jesus. But you see, Joanna used money that her husband made for working for Herod, who was trying to kill Jesus, to fund Jesus' ministry. Did you get that? She inspired a woman to use her husband's money, who worked for the very man that was trying to kill Jesus, to fund his ministry. Now, if you don't believe that Jesus can take bad things and make them good this is a perfect example he inspired four friends of a paralytic to take this man on a roof and to punch a hole in the roof to lower him down to Jesus because they knew that Jesus would heal him if they could just get to Jesus He inspired a woman that had been bleeding for 12 years to fight through a crowd just to touch the hem of his clothes because she believed that he could heal her. How has Jesus inspired you? What is it about Jesus' life that compels you to do something? Think about it. What have you done because it was because Jesus inspired you to do it? What is it about Jesus that inspires you? I love this quote by Martin Luther King Jr. He said, The man who has found nothing to die for is not fit to live. The man who has found nothing to die for is not fit to live. Here's a hard question for you. Do you have something that you would die for? Do you have something in your life that you would die for? I've got two of them up there and I've got two of them over here. That should at the very least be your starting place. But what is it that inspires you? What is it that gets you up in the morning? Or what is it that keeps you in bed? Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 11, 1. He says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul is saying, Christ has inspired me. So follow my example as as I seek to live a life that's inspired. And hopefully out of my ministry, you'll be inspired by something in your own life. You see, he was a Jewish man as well. But Paul's ministry was to Gentiles. But under Jewish customs, there were customs that would keep him from, from sharing a meal with Gentiles. And then Paul has this realization that he's letting food, he's letting the very food in front of him be a barrier between his friends and Christ. You see, because there was something different, there was something that kept them from being close friends. There was something that divided them between each other. But Paul says that I put away those things. I put those things aside and I don't worry about them. I don't worry about what's going to happen to me because I want to care about them. I'd rather them know about Christ and me go through any punishment or ridicule as a Jewish man than them not know Christ. In the ancient world, life was regarded as cheap. So much to the degree that it was even considered a blood sport. It it was hard to believe in, in our age, it's hard to believe this, but the gladiator fights to the death were pretty much like a football league for us today. It was the thing that drew all of the people. The Colosseum held anywhere between 60,000 and 80,000 people. And all these people would gather in to watch men fight to the death. It wasn't like boxing. It wasn't whoever gets knocked out is, you know, they're the loser. It was whoever's dead, you're the loser. But there was this man named Telemachus. That was inspired by Christ. And he said, you know what? These people have value and we're just treating them like they're trash and we're just treating them like they're expendable. So he goes to the arena and he stands up in the middle of the crowd and he yells, stop in the name of Jesus, stop. He makes his way down to the floor of the Colosseum. And he continues to yell, stop, in the name of Jesus, stop. And he ends up himself being killed. And his last words he utters, stop, in the name of Jesus, stop. And shortly, the crowd began to leave. And that was the very last 
gladiator games that was ever held in the Colosseum. Now, was it because Telemachus stood up for what he believed in? We don't know. But we do know that he stood up because he believed that we had more value than simply being killed for gain. And it was because of a man named Jesus. Historian Michael Grant says the most potent figure not only in the history of religion, but in the world as a whole, is Jesus Christ, the maker of one of the few revolutions which has lasted. Millions of men and women for century after century have found his life and teaching overwhelmingly significant and moving. There's just something about this man named Jesus that just draws us to bring out the best in ourselves. To want to help other people. The first paintings of Jesus didn't appear until, until the third and fourth centuries, which was literally hundreds of years after Jesus was on earth. And there began to be these paintings that would come about. Jaroslav. Palauskin says, The victory of Jesus Christ over the gods of Greece and Rome in the 4th century did not, as both friend and foe might have expected, bring about the demise of religious art. On the contrary, it was responsible for over the next 15 centuries of a massive and significant outpouring of creativity that is probably without parallel in the entire history of art. The first model was Jesus Christ. Some of the very first paintings were of Jesus. The movement of Jesus revolutionized even our languages today. Without Jesus, there would be no Dante, whose divine comedy shaped the primary modern Italian language. Without Jesus, there is no Martin Luther in the German Bible, which was the primary shaper of the German language. Without Jesus, there would be no King James Bible and would become, along with Shakespeare, the primary shaper of the English language. A Bible kind of like this. Could you imagine? I'm going to church this Sunday. Carrying this bad boy with you? There is no pocket big enough to stuff this in. I mean, and surprising, I was going through the history room up there, and this was actually in the history room, and I'm pretty sure this is from the 18th century. And so it's old. And, but it's an original, I don't know like how original, but the original text of the King James Bible. And think about it. This, this very text was the primary shaper of the language that you speak today. And if you think that it sounds a lot like Shakespeare, <laughs> that's because it does. They both worked hand in hand. 
to shape our, our language today. But it wouldn't have happened without Jesus Christ. John of the Cross, who many historians and literary critics regard as the finest poet in the Spanish language. The Bible has been one of the, the primary shapers of languages all over the world. In other words, one writer says, the, development, the developmental history of the European language and, literary, and literacy rests on Jesus more than any other single figure in history. Pope Gregory insisted that music be used to proclaim the soul's heart into God's presence. And so we get the Gregorian chants that were created by monks. Modern music notation, if you've ever looked at a, a note sheet of a musician, that came about because monks wanted to write music so that other people could sing. Martin Luther deeply influenced a composer by the name of Johann Sebastian Bach, who would begin by writing his works, signing his works, J.J., Jesu Jesua, Jesus help me. I'm sure many of you have prayed that prayer before you have done something. But at the end of each piece of his work, he would sign three letters, S-D-G, Solo de la Gloria, to the glory of God. The work that he poured into his symphonies were his heart's cry to God, to the glory of God. It is the gift that he has given me, and so I return it to his glory. Imagine a world with no hallelujah chorus, no Messiah, no Mo Mozart's Requiem, no Sistine Chapel, no Da Vinci's Last Supper, or Rembrandt's Prodigal Son, or Michelangelo's Piate. Without Jesus... We miss the beauty and the creativity of art. The influence of Christianity has been called the greatest factor in the development of architecture over the last two millennia. The single greatest influencer of architecture has been Christianity, a building that was influenced by Jesus. Many artists use their work to tell stories about injustice. This week I read a story about Pablo Picasso. One of his most faming, famous paintings is the Guernica, Guernica or something like that. And it is, it's in a protest to the Spanish, German, or Spanish general uh, Franco whose use of Nazi bombers to destroy the city of Guernica. It was a brutal piece of work. Inside, and I know this, I'm like, had to have this translated for me because I don't understand it by looking at it. But it pictures a screaming woman holding a dead child. A man falls as a torture victim. 
A horse is slaughtered, and all its brutality in, I mean, is filled with darkness over it. And as this piece is being presented, a fascist soldier saw the painting, and he came up to Picasso. He said, my God, did you do that? And Picasso looked at him. He said, no, you did. Telling the story of an injustice in the world by a man who was inspired by Jesus Christ. Dante, in his Divine Comedy, wrote that above the doors of hell is this single statement, Abandon hope, all who enter here. All hope is lost when you come to that place where it's either heaven or hell. We have all the hope in the world right now. But at that moment in time, we've lost that hope. When the final judgment comes on our lives, it's too late. We can't go back and change everything about ourselves that we didn't like. What is it that inspires you to be the greatest person that you are capable of being? What does Jesus inspire in you? In Colossians 3, Verses 15 through 17. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Note the very first word in that sentence. It says, let. You see, because this is a choice that you and I will make every single day. To let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and the songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything, let Christ inspire you to live a life that everything you do, everything you say, honors Christ and gives thanks to God because your life is why Jesus came. It's why we celebrate Easter, your life. And you see, our lives will either give thanks to God for sending his son or it won't. 
What does this man named Jesus inspire you to do? What does his love compel you to be? Are you just compelled to be okay with mediocrity? Are you inspired to be the person that sits in front of TV and watches TV all day? Maybe you're inspired enough that if you're retired that you're just, I'm retired, I'm going to spend the rest of my days playing golf and living life. Yeah, that sounds fun. And Jesus says nothing about having fun. Don't get me wrong. But is that really what Jesus is inspiring you to do? What does Jesus inspire you to do? Or I heard a really cool story this week. There's this man named Jeremy Affelt. If you follow baseball, you've probably heard of this guy. He's a pitcher for the San Francisco Giants baseball team. He found himself in the major leagues as a pitcher at the age of 22. He'd finally made it. The very first pitcher that he faced, he struck him out. He was living life at his highest. He had made it to the place where he wanted to be. He had it all. But within two short years, he found himself hating baseball. A few times in the, his talk, he's like, I, I know you feel bad for me. I, I know this is, you know, kind of making you really weep over, you know, my job. I get paid to pitch. But he's like, this is my dream. My whole life, this is what I wanted to do, but I hated it. I hated going to work. The thing I loved to do the most, I hated. And as he prayed, because he was a follower of Christ, and he prayed, and as he was reading, he came across this passage of Scripture where Jesus is speaking to some teachers of the law. And then he, he's reading this scripture, and for the first time in his life, something came alive in himself. He was reading the piece of scripture where Jesus tells the teacher of the law the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, I'm a baseball player. How does that translate to a guy who stands on a mound and throws a 90-mile-an-hour fastball? How? How am I supposed to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, mind, and strength, and my soul, and love? How do I love my neighbor as myself throwing a fastball? But then he realized that, you see, he was mixing two things. He was mixing up what his calling was and what his gifting was. You see, his calling, he realized, wasn't to throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. That wasn't his calling. That was his gift. 
that God had given him. You see, his calling was to love the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love his neighbor as himself. And something triggered inside of him that changed his life. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear his, his passion for pitching. Because it's not just pitching that he does anymore. Watch this. Falls off. What God has joined together. As a baseball player, when I take that mound, if my three boys know me as daddy, the major league baseball player, or my daddy, the world champion, I hope my left arm falls off. Because I do not want to play baseball so that people can have the back of my baseball card and read good things about it. I do not want to play baseball because I carry a big ring on my finger that says I'm a world champion. Because if I were to ask many of you in here in 2010 how many innings I've it, and that's the point, because it doesn't matter. And I play with a lot of guys that bank their whole lives on people remembering their statistics because that's their identity. People ask me what I do. You're that baseball player. I said, well, that, I mean, that's what I do. Right, you're a baseball player. No, that's what I do. That's not who I am. Well, who are you? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. That's when I take a mound. That's who I pitch for. I do not... I do not pitch, I do not necessarily, I like succeeding. I have to do my job. It is a performance-based job. I'm not gonna say it's not. I have to make, I have to put up the certain numbers to keep my job, I do. But I don't concentrate so much on my ERA anymore, so much on my holds and losses, wins, losses, holds, strikeouts, uh, you know, scuds. I throw a lot of balls in the dirt. You know, like I don't, I don't concentrate so much on those things. Because that is an uncontrollable for me. My God has already said, I've got this plan for you. I, I, I've, I've got, I, I, you follow me, man, I got you. I need you to love me and love your neighbor. That's what I'm calling you to do. Go use that in your gifting. I will handle the rest. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Now when I pitch, I pitch for people I don't know. I pitch for kids that are in trafficking, that are getting sent into the sex trafficking world, women and children. I pitch for people who cannot eat. I pitch for people who cannot drink. I pitch for people who do not have, have houses to live in. I pitch for people who are naked and I get to clothe them. I pitch for those people because I cannot raise my three boys who are trying to be leaders, hopefully, in a community and tell them to be selfish in nature. I want them to be selfless. Do it for somebody else. But do not do it for yourself. As a baseball player, when I take that mound, if my three boys know me as Daddy, the Major League Baseball player, or my dad. Do you hear what he said? A few things just struck me as, as I was watching this. When I take the mound, I don't pitch for anyone else. I pitch for Jesus Christ. How in the world do you do that? Well, you see, because he gets paid to pitch, right? Lots of money. 
And you see, he could easily spend all of that money on things and items and cars and big houses and buy all of his kids the greatest things in the world. But he says, no. I'm going to pitch so that I can do what Jesus has commanded me to do. I'm going to live a life that honors Christ. So he's partnered with a hunger ministry that goes around and meets with elementary school kids. And it's not just, here's the money and go get some food. It's, he helps support it financially, and then he goes to these elementary schools. As you can imagine, a professional baseball player going to an elementary school. And he said the very first time he did this, he had 400 elementary school kids packing school lunches for kids who did not have food in the community. And that's why he pitches. He, he started a ministry that goes into third world countries and helps children get pulled out of the sex trafficking lifestyle that's going on. Because he wants to influence the least people in the world. He wants to be the person that doesn't just pitch, but he wants to change lives. He's inspired because of Jesus Christ. But the main reason that he wants to live this life is for his kids. Because if his kids are ever going to be the men that he wants them to be, he's got to show them what that man looks like. And so I ask you, Whatever your job is or whether you're retired, what are you doing with that? Are you simply a nurse for being a nurse? Are you simply a teacher for the purpose of being a teacher or a school bus driver simply because I needed something to do? Are you a professional golfer because, hey, it's fun and I've got the time? Sorry, Jim, it's just so easy. Is playing music just simply something that I do because I'm talented at it? Is being a pastor simply what I do on Sunday morning? Or is it to change lives out there? What is it that inspires you? Because all of the things that I said are your giftings. But how are you using your gift to change lives because of Jesus Christ? Because I promise you, whatever you are doing, your calling is to love God and love others. And here's the thing. Here's the kicker. Here's the hard part. Your love for God is not fulfilled if you don't love others. And your love for others cannot be fulfilled if you do not love God.
So I challenge you. What are you inspired to do with the life that God has given you? Whose lives can you change? How can you use your gifts to change the world around you? Stand with me. Jesus, I pray this Jesus who had no place to lay his head yet became the primary shaper of architecture. We don't know what Jesus looked like, but he became the most recognizable figure in the world. He never wrote a book. Yet he became the most written about person and the greatest inspiration in our world. No person has had more songs written about them. And he died alone. Yet every day, people are still dying for him. God, I pray that we would learn, that we would seek to know your son, Jesus Christ. That we would be inspired by his life and his love for us. That we would not just simply keep it to ourselves and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. And thank you and good day. God, I pray that your son, Jesus Christ, that his love would compel us and inspire us into being the person that changes the lives around us because we are inspired by the love of a man who did not deserve to die for our sins. Yet he freely gave his life for us. Jesus, transform us. And make us into the people that you desire for us to be. That our lives might be transformed and inspired by you.